You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna, and this is Inverse. So it is my pleasure to introduce our guests, plural, today. Um, in fact, I had the great pleasure uh, not too long ago of being a guest on this particular podcast. And so it is my delight to invite a whole crew with us, not just one, not even two, but three guests today. Uh, and it is uh, the Three Black Men podcast. We've got Trey Ferguson. He serves on the pastoral staff at Refuge Church in Homestead, Florida, in addition to hosting the podcast, The New Living Translation, and co-hosting Three Black Men, Theology, Culture, and the World Around Us. He's also a graduate of the University of Miami and the Samuel DeWitt Proctor School of Theology at Virginia Union University. He is most proud of his wife, Jessica, and their children. We've also got Robert Monson. He's a writer, seminarian, theologian, and musician originally from Chicago. He's involved in liberation work, communal care, and again, a co-host of Three Black Men, as well as the host of Black Coffee and Theology. And then also we've got Sam Gay. He is the husband of Kwani and uh, father of three. Uh, he's originally from Bealsville, Florida, which is uniquely, it's a small town started by free slaves. Really, really fascinating. Uh, he's learning to live in authentic community and love more freely. And again, he is co-host of Three Black Men podcasts. So uh, Trey, Robert, Sam, welcome to Inverse. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you three with us in conversation today. Oh, hey. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much. Hey, it's an honor and a privilege. Absolutely. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, brothers, this is fun. It's it's we're recording around Epiphany, right? So we needed three wise men. So we naturally called you three. That that's that's how that went down. Um, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about Three Black Men podcast? How how you would describe it, and how you all started hanging out in such ways that we could listen in uh okay so i I, i'll go first uh and y'all can jump in i so giving a bit about our friendship first and then the podcast uh our friendship uh developed mostly over the course of the pandemic i know that often people give social media a hard hit and they say that social media is not real life and get off of social media and attend to real life, real people. But uh, we were stuck in the house, bored in the house, in the house, bored. And uh, <laughs> I started to develop relationships with all types of people from all walks of life. And Sam and I started to develop, to develop a brotherhood and uh, a beautiful brotherhood and we are a lot alike <clears throat> we tussle a lot <laughs> we are one and the same <laughs> and we do we started to develop this beautiful friendship in in the middle of that uh 
first through online engagement uh, and arguments, and then uh, <laughs> a beauty uh, developed uh, like a rose coming out of the pavement. And uh, then Trey joined in the midst of that. And there was a synergy that started uh, among the three of us. And uh, for me, a podcast kind of developed out of that. So I'll say that and brothers join me. Uh, any thoughts? Yeah, man. Three black minutes. What happened when the group chat come to life? That's <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what it was. Literally, like we started, we we would hit each other up in DMs. Like when you know the little conversations you want to have, but like maybe it need to be in house or whatever. So you started DMs, and not everybody on the timeline see it. Like we started like that. Um, and then eventually, like we're like, yo, like do y'all mind if we Facetime real quick because like it's gonna be a lot to type something like that. We we had a Facetime conversation that lasted like over an hour, like a couple hours or something. And it was one of them situations where I know at least my wife was in the background. She was like, yo, like, y'all, that was the first time that y'all talked. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, whoa, that like that was that was that was wild. And if I'm not mistaken, I think uh Sam, your wife had a similar reaction. Um, but uh a couple weeks later, like well, I was like, yo, I think we should start a podcast. Um, and it wasn't even a question about it. It was it was it was the logical thing to happen. It just felt like something worth sharing. Yeah. Um it was definitely born out of like an authentic brotherhood for me. Um, it had to, uh, once I realized it was a safe space um, and that I could really, con- I, I really connected with, like I'd al- I had already connected with Rob. So we had that connection because Rob and I were DMing first, um, even if it was arguments or like button heads, whatever, but we were talking first. And then Rob put me and Trey together in a group chat. And once we once I sort of realized that this is like a safe space uh, and this is really something I didn't know I needed um and Rob was like you know what and we had that FaceTime and Rob was like you know what we should start a podcast and I was like okay so we should start a podcast and here we are a little over a year later and a whole lot of streams <laughs> so. yeah and I want to add too that in the midst of this group chat that we had going, we would talk about everything, whether it was um, things going on in our mental health uh, struggles, things that we were happy about, things that we were looking uh, forward to in the future. Uh, a memes. lot of vulner, yeah, <laughs> memes, vulnerabilities, theology that we were wrestling with, um, things that were uh, emerging in our hearts and in our lives, and so. For us, that's kind of, that became the tagline to Three Black Men. And so we often say that our first audience for Three Black Men is us. And so we don't cultivate the conversations to a certain, um, even ethnicity. We don't, there isn't a certain audience we're looking to uh, um, curry favor with. Uh, these conversations are still uh conversations that we're having around our table and we want you to listen in but your guests at the table um so yeah that's good that's good yeah when i think of y'all three i think of you know i mean some of that like that the authenticity vulnerability play mm. love for each other like all of those things right um and so i really appreciate the way that you guys interact with each other um it's really it's really cool to to be uh well i've been at the table once but also to be listening in um to how you all interact in the conversations you have as well yeah 
So one of the things that we like to do is um, we like to really ground our conversations in scripture. And so um, could one of you all uh, read the chosen scripture that you have for us today? What is it? And, and can you read it for us? Yeah. So uh, we've chosen John chapter one for our time together and uh, all hearts and minds clear. <laughs> so John chapter one says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many received him, to them, he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And I'll read this last verse. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. 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 Well, brothers, um, you know that for us, uh, we like to explore how theology and biography uh, play together. And uh, as a way of getting that, we we often ask, when do you first remember encountering the Bible? I don't know who wants to go first, but we intend to listen to each of you. You know what? I, I can answer this. If y'all don't mind, I, I, I'll go first on, on this one. Um, my earliest uh, interactions with the Bible actually for me weren't so pleasant. Um, because, you know, I did typical child stuff, but as a punishment, Ephesians 6 was always used against me. Children obey your parents. Children obey your parents. And then when it was time to get a spanking, spare the rod, spoil the child. Wow. Right. So it was actually weaponized against me and I had to read it. So, um, I don't remember if I was like six, seven or eight, but I was, I was young enough that I could read. So. Um, for me, I've always kind of side-eyed the Bible um, in such a way, though, not in, in, in such a way that it was something that I knew that I needed. I just hadn't found usefulness for it yet. And so I'm going to tuck you away. Um, so I've kind of always side-eyed it uh, until, like, um, you know, eventually the Holy Spirit just started working in me. Uh, and things became clear. And I think I actually just answered the other question too, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's fascinating. But but I mean, your literal first memory is tied to that kind of physical punishment and discipline, disciplining. Yeah, uh, yeah. actually um, using the Bible and scripture, the, those are my earliest memories um, of actually having to read it as a punishment and then, um, using it using it as a justif justification for different punishments um yeah yeah i'll go next um my 
introduction to the Bible wasn't as unpleasant. Like I, I, I grew up in the church. My mom loves telling the story of how she brought me to church when I was four days old for the first time. Um, so, so that's my, my story. But the first time I recall um, interacting with the Bible, I, I got put on the Bible quiz team at church when I was young. And we, we won that competition too. I think my mom still had, she better still had that truth. Okay, I worked, I worked okay. That thing. Yeah. Talk that talk. Hey, man, hey, yo, we ran them out the gym. Like it, was, it wasn't even close. We was out <laughs> there. still run them out in the gym. Well, still, still. Matter of fact, the scripture we chose today, that was one of my, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. I was, man, rattling. So, so, but <laughs> what that did for someone like me, cause I was, I was a little, I was a little geek, little, little, little nerd in elementary school. So uh, being like able to view the Bible as trivia was kind of cool to me. Then as I grew older and confronted people who weren't on the Bible quiz team, had a different relationship with the Bible. I had to start interrogating it in different ways. So my own relationship with the Bible has evolved a lot. It's almost uh, taken somewhat of a, a parabolic arc, you know, like it started one way and ended, uh, headed another way and kind of came back around and, and, and um, to, to, to the point where at, at one point I had a lot of, I, I would get angry when I read the Bible. Like, wait, why is this in here? Why do I have to wrestle with this? Like, why, why are, are you pitting me against God by saying that God said this um, was, was where I ended up at some point. But that wasn't, it. that wasn't the question I asked. I said, my, how the Bible was introduced to me. So let me stop talking real quick, Rob, it's your turn. <laughs> I grew up as an atheist. So I, I also uh, was introduced in a sword fight, but in a different manner. And uh, the, <laughs> I was introduced to it by uh, corny Christians in school who were hypocrites. And it, it, it was, <laughs> and so I made it my mission, my goal, my aim to turn the weapon back around on Christians and talk them out of their faith. And so that was uh, my highest calling uh, all the way <laughs> through high school. And, and Jesus uh, got you. Yeah. <laughs> God got me and, um, in college. Uh, but uh, I was introduced in small ways. I heard scriptures here and there uh, without much comprehension. And it was amazing to me that without reading the Bible myself, I could use it against Christians and talk them out of their faith. Um, but my first like true recognizing of what scripture was, was uh, when I came to the faith. Um, and so John chapter 14 was my first uh, real mm. hearing of the, the, the scriptures. And it was in a left behind movie. Um, <laughs> and uh, now, Robert, there's a twist. No one listening expected twist, <laughs> right? And it hit. So, <laughs> so I didn't even know this. I can use a donkey, right? That's right. <laughs> so, so I have a special place in my heart. That John chapter 14 hit, um, and I still remember the scene too. Uh, but, anyways, I digress. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, so I mean, because what I hear in your story is a little bit of like. It's, you know, the the saturation of scripture in society and that you could grab it and use it. But then at a different point, scripture becoming scripture for you. Right. Yes, um, absolutely. 
yeah, an experience. Now, there's a testimony I don't think many Australians would have. No one's going to accuse Australia of saturating scripture in our larger culture. That's that's not a reality. <laughs> I, I think this is some of the richness though of Three Black Men podcast is um, listening to Sam, Trey, and Robert tell their stories and how they differ and yet how they come together. Uh, that's yeah. that's beautiful. I did want to mention to Trey, Trey, I'm not sure if you've seen that um, Howard John Wesley has started a actual game show, a quiz show <laughs> that um, Alfred Street Baptists are, are doing um, where they get adults to play the these um, Sunday school games. And it's set up like a, he hosts it like he's hosting Jeopardy or something. If you haven't oh, seen that track, you've got to check that out. That's good, that's good. All right, so you all kind of shared some of your story. So one thing that we have realized is that we all encounter and have experienced um, the Bible, the scriptures in a whole variety of different ways. And so really interested to hear, and some of you guys have already hinted at it already, you know, in what ways did you encounter the Bible as a liberating uh, reality? In what ways was it oppressive? In what ways was it healing or harming? Was it something else? Maybe it doesn't fit into those categories. Um, and maybe if you want to share a little bit of that evolution to how you experience it today would be interesting as well. Yeah, I think for me initially, especially with with my, my Bible quiz origins, it was neither um, liberating or oppressive. Originally, it just was. Um, it was it was just a book, you know. I wouldn't consider any of the textbooks I got in school as liberating or oppressive. Um, but then I can recall certain certain episodes that kind of gave me questions and everything. And I remember one of them. I went to. I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, for the most part, right. Um, and I went to the Black History Museum there one time. And one of the things they had, one of the artifacts they had, was a pew from um the, the 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 section of the church where they made the, the the enslaved people sit and they pointed out how the, the the pew was constructed at a 90 degree angle so that they had to sit straight up so that there was no danger of them falling asleep um, and that was uh, as a child looking at that i'm like why why would that be something like why wouldn't you just make the sermon shorter like why would you make the pews that way and then i looked and i was like wait the pews that i sit in is just like maybe you add 30 degrees it's not that big of a, and 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 i remember in particular because i was there with my father who had a bit of a revolutionary bent to him um and my dad always uh, would shed light on some things but from then I had questions. And then as um, I got older, I had cousins who were in the nation of Islam and, and um, they weren't, they never proselytized towards me, but hearing certain things about like the white man's religion okay. had grown older and then going to a predominantly white institute for college where um, I was in a pretty secular setting, right? Where there weren't a whole lot of people who identified as believers. And there was a large Jewish population at the school and most of them didn't identify as believing Jews either, right? They were mostly secular Jews. And all of this, this, this disconnect between this document, this, this collection, this library, this Bible that I had been around since I was young and the lived experiences of the, the lived experiences of the people who either revered it or whose heritage helped shape it, you know? Um, I kind of had to make a decision because I recognize that other, if I didn't make a decision, other people would make it for me, right? If I didn't decide if the Bible was a liberating force for me, then somebody else would make it an oppressive force. Um, and and so it's with that tension as I got older that that I, I hold the Bible now because I recognize that the Bible in and of itself is neither liberating nor oppressive. I ended up where I started. Um, it's, it's, it's the 
it's the check engine light that, that, that tells you more about the person reading it than the Bible itself, right? Mm-hmm. Because if I decide to be an oppressor, I could pick up the Bible and I could find some things. It's going gonna, it's gonna to sound uh, pretty, pretty legit in there. But if I want to be a liberator, if I want to love better, then I can do that as well. Mm. Yeah, I think for me, starting off, the Bible was was mere mythical um, and it was it was weaponized. Uh, but for me, I think my tension for much of my life was uh, with orthopraxy more than was the Bible itself uh, liberating or oppressive. Uh, I've always had a bigger issue with Christians and orthopraxy, um, and orthopathy, to be honest. Uh, um, but that, that's, um, that's a different, uh, conversation altogether. But I think for me, the Bible was more mythical and the more that I studied it, uh, as I got older, um, after I came to the faith, it actually became binding as I saw orthopraxy, uh, live, you know, the lived reality of um, being in white evangelical spaces, if I can just name it very succinctly. Um, I got saved in the midst of being in white evangelical spaces that uh, put the Bible at odds with uh, liberation and put the Bible at odds with human flourishing. And that created a lot of dissonance for me, because for me, once I came to the faith, the Bible has always been generative. The Bible has always been freeing to me. But the more that I saw the disconnect between the way uh, that people were able to read the Bible and be harmful and destructive, uh, I started to have all this dissonance for me. And I was in spaces that were actively oppressing Black and Brown people in our midst. Um, I don't, I'm not going to at them. Uh, and then, um, but they were able to have that quiet time every day. And so I, I think the questions for me became, how are we worshiping the same God and reading the same Bible reading in a year plan? Um, and we still cry and sing the same songs. Uh, um, we sing Jesus, I love you. And there's no movement. Uh, so for me, it's mm-hmm. It's probably more to Trey's point. This Bible seems neutral then because the same Bible that is moving me towards love and kindness and grace is moving others um, to be more and more oppressive. Uh, So that's what I would say. And, And I have grown more in my concept of what human flourishing and what uh, a communal care ethic is, uh, I think what troubles me is people can read this document in this collection of documents um, their whole life and be just as um, dastardly as uh, when they first believe. And that mm. troubles me, truly. Mm. That's, that's, that's deep. It reminds me, you know, they say um, about 16th century Anabaptists in terms of uh, their engagement with the Bible, at least some scholars have talked about uh hermeneutics of obedience, right? This mm-hmm. idea that this claim that um, it's only meaningful, like you, scripture is only meaningful if before you have even encountered it, you've already committed to this posture of 
obedience in the way of Jesus, right? Even before you read it, like that has yeah. to be committed yes. as a starting point. Um, and, and you can't read scripture right without that is kind of the idea. But anyway, it's just it's just thinking about you, the emphasis on the orthopraxy, right? Um, mm -hmm. And this kind of way of life um, and the dissonance and the kind of lack of integrity that you were witnessing that, that caused so much uh, friction. Yeah, I appreciate that. See, Drew's getting ready for the Anablactivist altar call. You, you fellas know that. That's what hey, this, I mean, Sam's like, hey, I haven't even given my testimony. Can I answer the question? And Drew's like, somebody get on the organ. We're, we're closing this thing. <laughs> no, man, go I ahead, can man. get my pian piano out right now. Look, I'll pass the collection plate. Hey. Sam, <laughs> <laughs> <Let's go. laughs> we do want to hear your story uh, um, in terms of how you kind of experienced. Yeah, yeah so I know that sounds like really brutal. And it's, don't get me wrong, it's bad. Um, but that's just my first memory. Uh, I'm not. I'm not saying that's my first experience. That's what I remember. Um, yeah. Being first, being repeated um, so much, um, and so I never. I don't know. I always felt like I had a a strange relationship with the Bible because, I, I've I've always wanted permission to wrestle with Scripture, hmm. but I was always told you don't question God. You don't question scripture, right? This is God's word. He said it, right? You don't, you, you, you're not questioning me. You're questioning God, right? These are things that I was told. Like I grew up in a very, very fundamental um, Bapticostal circle. Um, and then actually it went completely right into like um, strong white evangelicalism, like really strong, Um it was weird. <laughs> we were dancing to Jewish music in the nineties. <laughs> like, you know, with the celebrations, it was, it was interesting. Um, but yeah, um, I just, I've always wanted permission to wrestle and I never felt like I had that um, going from different traditions, even as an adult. Uh, and so like, I, the way I sort of hid from it, um, I, I kept the Bible close because yeah, so I kept the Bible close because I remember um, our Monday night prayers uh, when I was a kid uh, growing up. At the same time, while the Bible was being weaponized against me, I'm seeing the power of God manifest like in prayer form. And I'm seeing people committing their lives, like just in family prayer. I'm seeing this. I'm seeing God manifest himself um, to me in a very real way as a child. So that's why I said I had a really interesting relationship with the Bible because I knew something was there. Um, and Drew, you just said said something uh, uh, to, to the orthopraxy about like having this mentality or this attitude to, to their, this commitment to Jesus first before you even, you know, sort of go into reading the Bible. And it was one of those things where I guess I, I couldn't articulate it then, but hearing that I'm feeling like, you know what, maybe I just didn't like or think or agree with how it was being used because it didn't seem like that was the way of Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, I just couldn't articulate that. So I've always had a really interesting relationship with the Bible. Um, and that's one of the things that I really appreciate about these brothers because our dynamic has really blessed our life, blessed my life. Um, Rob gives me permission to wrestle. He gives me permission to think. And it's so weird. I know it sounds crazy to hear, like I'm, I'm 36 years old. It sounds crazy to hear a grown adult say that, but somebody might identify with that. It's okay to wrestle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's okay. Like I'm, 
I'm not. Rob said something we were talking one time. He was like, I'm not, you think God's afraid of a slippery slope? <laughs> like, like, do you really think God cannot catch you from a slippery slope? And I'm like, either he's God or he's not. Mm. And so that's sort of where my relationship sort of stands with the Bible, man. Mm. That's beautiful. Sam. And one of the things that uh, I think listeners of Three Black Men podcasts appreciate is um, your vulnerability and honesty about your journeys as well. Um, this question, we, you know, sometimes Drew, like we kind of avoid using the term hermeneutic, but today I'm unashamed. I'm just going to say hermeneutic. It's, um, uh, it, it's a great word for Scrabble. Um, it impresses people at dinner time conversations. Um, uh, and Sam, our, our next question is about how your hermeneutic has developed, what life experiences has changed the way that you read the Bible towards something more liberating. Um, we we want to hear from all, all three of you, but share your hermeneutics as it, as it finds you today, right now. You know what? I'm going to, I, I feel like I was actually just talking to my wife before um, coming on. We have some stories that I feel like nobody will believe. <laughs> like I feel like Shonda Rhimes could not write this into a series. <laughs> so um, I really think seeing just living life every day, um, talking a lot with these brothers, um, therapy um, has been freeing and really allowed me to just feel more comfortable with what I believe God is saying and how I see Jesus. Um, because I'm living the community, yeah. right? I'm surrounded. There has been a, you see them outside. There has been a series of events that nobody could have predicted. And yet we're surrounded by people who are yet saying, I love you. How are you doing? I mm. care. I want to help. Mm. And that's even been these brothers. Like people don't know it, but they're willing to come where I am. Trey hobbled, torn ligaments in his knee right now, laid up, is willing to drive four hours away. Rob had to move suddenly, is willing to fly from Dallas to Jacksonville, Florida, so that we can live in community, so that we can have what we need. And living these experiences and reading about Christ and seeing God move suddenly and in community, forgive my tears, but that's the hermeneutic that I have. I've had so yeah. much. I, I've attended Reformation Bible College for a little while. I've, I've, I've been a Presbyterian. I've had so many different theological trainings that I didn't even put in my bio because they don't mean anything to me. What matters to me is being a man, known as a man that loves my family, but loves my community the same way that Jesus does. That's how I want to be seen. And that's how I, that's how, that's how I read scripture. Amen. That's beautiful. Sam. That's good. Rob's running. I ain't going after that. 
Yeah, don't get me to crying. Uh, I'm sorry, y'all. The, 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 bar, the bar is very low for me to cry. Uh, <laughs> truly. Um, I love you, Samuel. Um, you, man. Truly. Uh, for me, I have, when I read the scriptures, I have a hermeneutic of communal love and care. And I say it all the time, but that is what's on my mind. That's what how I'm interpreting what I'm reading. I, that is what I'm concerned about. That's the theological wrestles I like to tussle. And that that's the things that I wrestle with are who is God in the midst of us. And so any theology has to pass through that gate of what, what and who is God to us, right? And anything that doesn't answer that, <laughs> You got to bounce back. Um, and even when I'm in the seminary classroom, uh, people who are in my seminary classrooms, I bounce you all the way back when what you're talking about, it doesn't speak to who is God to us. Uh, <laughs> I don't care how smart you are. Um, <laughs> you can use a whole lot of words and not be answering who is God to us. Uh, I have to be able to distill that information down. I have a lot of books all around this room, but who is God to us? Uh, it's got to make sense. Uh, and then with that, for me, is I have a hermeneutic of suspicion, interrogation, and curiosity. Uh, and um, because that serves that that purpose, uh, because it's about community, folks. If it's not feeding that um by and then and then lastly uh and this is very important for me is uh i have to know when i come to the scriptures when i come to my god is my blackness a liability when i come to the table of the lord and it serves as a praxis by which i relate to god and god's people and god in the word uh and it's how I interface with the communion table. Is my presence as a Black, chronically ill man, is it a liability here in how I'm interpreting what, what and how God is moving? Um, and how I answer that uh, daily uh, matters to me. Yeah, um, my hermeneutic not that deep, man. Um, I'm Black, right? Um, and that informs how I approach the Bible in a number of different ways. And um, let me start by saying this, first and foremost. Uh, it, it informs me because I'm able to recognize an in-house discussion when I see one, right? Like there are certain words that I can say among and to, or would say among and to other black people that I will not say in mixed company. And those are conversations that need to occur. Those are conversations that do occur, but in the wrong setting and in the wrong hands, they can be misapplied and misconstrued. Yeah. And so it is with the 66 books we find in the Bible. Those are in-house discussions, right? <laughs> so a lot of times we are visitors that even by the Bible's own language says that people like me have been supernaturally grafted into that. So I have to mm -hmm. handle this text carefully there's a reason I still eat shrimp. There's a reason I don't have no guilt eating lobster because my culture doesn't dictate that I can't do that, right? Like, so that command would have made perfect sense in that culture. Like, yo, y'all know we don't do this. That's weird. We don't eat that stuff. Here, yeah, we eat that. And they weren't talking to me. 
Right. Mm-hmm. So I can read that and I have to read with it. So so when I say like, oh, I'm black, it helps me to understand uh, certain things because like, oh, OK, now all of a sudden this makes sense. That's an in-house discussion. Um, and at the same time, I say that my me being black is my hermeneutic because uh, it took me a while to get over this because um, I'm like Sam and Rob. I'm, I'm the only person who has not had like a real intimate relationship with white evangelicalism at any time of my spiritual formation. The one, the closest I got, I was at, I was at a white evangelical seminary for um, a couple of years. For educational purposes, Rob, watch your face. I, I, was, <laughs> I went there for the papers and I dropped out of that I was seminary a, too. I was about to ask I you. I, I was see, about I to see. ask you because you And I dropped at, out of that you, seminary. You was at the- Mind your business. You, you was Which at is, the- Can y'all mute him, please? I wasn't done. Of white evangelicalism. Y'all please, can y'all please mute him? Yeah, do this. Uh, <laughs> But but I say that because um at at a, at a time when when I went um especially in my first my first seminary um that I, I could not I could not make it work there, but I recognized that everybody claimed that they were reading the text neutrally and objectively, but it felt foreign to me. I'm like, why is this the case? Like, why is what seems so neutral and objective and clear to you so foreign to me? It's not like I've never been around white people before. Like, I was one of three black people in my graduating class in high school. Like, I know y'all. I'm, I'm, this is America. I've, I've seen you. Not I've been in your houses, you know? Like, so I'm like, what is it? And then I recognized that what was being presented as neutral and objective just happened to be what is the default in America, which is a white view. Mm. So when I gave my myself permission to to view the Bible through my own lens instead of somebody else's lens, um, all of a sudden different paradigms started popping up for me. And it's not to say that my view is more valid; it's something that is as valid. It's something that needs to be brought into conversation. So with that being said, my hermeneutic is not only influenced by me being black, like Rob and Sam both alluded to. It's a very um, highly communal hermeneutic, right? And some of that is by default because I spent whatever time I did at that seminary, I've been exposed to all of these different ways of approaching the Bible, but I bring things into community now. Now, what I need to be intentional about and what I strive to be intentional about is what views and what uh, uh, perspectives I am bringing into conversation with my own. Cause it can't just be mm-hmm. my black perspective and white evangelical perspective. Okay, how is this affecting uh, women and indigenous people and queer people and and the disabled people and all those things because if i am to believe that the kingdom of heaven is as beautiful as everything i've read about it indicates it will be then all those people have to be there Mm. and it can't be the kingdom of heaven if i'm the only architect or if you're the only architect it has to be a diplomatic process where everybody is honored and everybody is dignified and everybody is celebrated now i can't be all of those things i can only be what god made me and that's a black man in america so that's my hermeneutic, um, but I try to bring it in the community with as many things as possible. That's so good, y'all. That's so good. So on that note, um, what I want y'all to do is to guide us into conversation. Let's have a conversation where you guys bring your lens, your hermeneutics um, to this text that you all have chosen. John uh, 1, 1 through 14. Um, I don't know who wants to start us off, but let's just have a conversation around this text and, and see what uh, we see together. Yeah, I, could, I could start us off, I think, because uh, I, I was the one dropping in the chat when we first saw the question. So, <laughs> but ahead, for me, go ahead, brother Trey. Yeah, this is one of those passages that is so beautiful and understanding. To me, it's, it's, it's one of the best images of the Christian faith, right? 
and and where it kind of deviates and and even one of those things like i said me uh being being a black man and understanding in-house discussions it helps because there's one verse in there even in the selection we posted that that if read wrong way can lead to a little bit of anti-Semitism where it says that uh, his own people didn't recognize him or whatever, stuff like that. But it's something that I can almost kind of understand, but this whole idea of in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Understanding this creative life force that has been there since the beginning. And, and just that, that concept that <laughs> in verse 14, the culmination where the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? That, that it made its dwelling among us, that it tabernacled among us, that it pitched its tent among us. It pulls from that old Jewish imagery of, of the tabernacle and the tent that traveled with them through the wilderness. Said that the, that the word, that the, the thing that created the world pitched its tent among us. This whole idea, especially in this season, this Christmas season, mm. this epiphany season, that presence of God manifesting in the middle of us is such a beautiful thing for me, right? And when we talk about that, they're obviously setting the stage for making a, a, a claim of, about Jesus' divinity. That's the purpose of this particular text. But it's talking about how God shows up in the world. And that's something that, that that is so inspiring to me because it's like, okay, it makes me think, how do I choose to show up in the world? Mm. What parts of, of, of the story of Jesus do I let guide my 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 presence and my being, right? Um, and and that's how I start looking at this text. Is it's, it's it's how the gospel of John starts. It's, it's introducing its claim that Jesus says that this thing that has existed from the beginning of the time pitched its tent among us. Um, and it's yeah. like, how, how do we show up, you know? Yeah, yeah. for me, I think uh, this passage is special. Um, I can't help but thinking, y'all, I'll probably cry. So don't, when you see the tears fall, it's, it's who I am as a person. Okay, so don't be alarmed. It's just a normal day. Um, I can't help but thinking of, of, alluding to all that Trey said, but but the framework of talking about this passage in light of Epiphany in the season, but in, in the framework of we are going into year three of a pandemic. Mm. We are we are as a people, we are tired, right? As a people, we are reeling, we are grieving. And um <clears throat> You know, in this text, you know, obviously the imagery of in the beginning was the word and suddenly, you know, it's that light and dark um, imagery, right? And suddenly in that darkness, this light came and um, I can't help but think of studying this passage in the midst of the framework of the darkness that we are dwelling in right now and in the framework of be being in a pandemic um, that has no end in sight, right? And so for me, um, thinking of this text in a liberating way, right into that communal effort and care, mm -hmm. I can't study it divorced from the reality of knowing that many of us are looking for God to be with us right now. Many people are hurting financially, physically, spiritually, and many are needing um, the reality of these words, right? They're needing God to show up and be God, very God, light, very light now, 
right? And they're needing, you know, there's been the argument of the creeds, right? And that's that might be a different conversation, but they're needing the reality, the fullness of this passage now because many are reeling right now. And um, my heart hurts. It's sick over that. Many are saying all over the place, I need to see God now, right? And so for me, I just want to say at the beginning of this particular part of the the show, um, I can't see this passage outside of where we are right now, globally and locally, and even in my own family. Um, Brother Sam just alluded, his family is, it's a lot whirlwind in his own family, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We're hurting. We are people hurting um, and reeling. Um, so yeah, that's what I want to offer just to ground us in the reality. Um, I can't study it just spiritually. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 So for me, um, when I look at this, these verses, um, it's funny because Trey talked about how, uh, we, we, you know, part of the blessing of being black is just realizing what's an in-house conversation. Um, and uh, the way that I sort of read this is not necessarily to me, but to them, but this is the God that has revealed himself to me, right? So I'm reading the letter that's to the people before, but now it got to me because this wasn't for me. Their traditions and customs weren't necessarily for me. They're different. Right. So I see where God has revealed himself and he entered the world as a human being. Right. Uh, that's the first um, five, the first, uh, the first five. He warned y'all about this man. Y'all ignored it. Verse 10. He came into the world and y'all didn't recognize. Him. Verse. Um, but then this is where I see the community. Um, verse uh, 12. It says, but to all who believed him and accepted him he gave the right to become children of God and there has been something just dwelling in my heart and in my soul for I don't know a few months now I I talked to the fellas about it a little bit um but I just hear this phrase there's room at the cross Mm. there's room at the cross and he came to make room for those who uh, did not recognize him or or who recognized him, but he came to his own people and even they rejected him. So even the people inside of his own family that he came to, they rejected him. Now that's not to say that anti-Semitism is okay. We don't do that. But he revealed himself. They knew who he was and they still rejected him. And so he built this community of people. He built this community of people that nobody suspected. And so now there's room at the cross for people like me. Mm. There's room at the cross for people like you. What do you have? It don't matter. There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross. And so anything outside of that context for me in this verse, in this season, there's no room for that. That that that's just that's that's how I'm living my life. Uh, that's how I'm seeing God manifest Himself. Um, 
in our lives, when I look back over my life, I literally see the hand of God holding me. That's why when Rob Mm -hmm. said like, yo, I'm not afraid. Like you think God's afraid of a slippery slope? No, God has kept me. Even through my wrestling, through my struggling, through my runs, he's kept me. Mm -hmm. And he's always, always put community around me. He's kept people praying for me. He's put people in my life like Trey, who recommends great books that that challenge me, that he knows I'm a love, that put people in my life like Rob, who encouraged me to think, who wants to hear my thoughts on different things that honestly, I never thought mattered. (laughs) You know, that's, that's the community that I believe that Christ is embodied in. This is what I believe he built. There's no room for the oppressed. There's no room for all of those isms and big fancy words that we learn via the internet and other stuff. This is the community um, that I believe that Christ is embodied in. Mm, that's good. That's beautiful, y'all. One of the things when I um, reread this passage, and I mean, there's just so much in it, but I was kind of struck by um, just, you know, we have seen his glory. That's what kind of struck me. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, not not that not that it's a new thing that I've never noticed before, but but just I was just kind of reflecting on like maybe on like what it what has that meant for me? Um, in what ways have I seen his glory? And thinking about both in terms of the way that I am just in awe of Jesus, both in written form, but then also the experience, the encounter of Jesus' living presence and community, like when, you know, just you've had these community moments where like God shows up um, and you're just like, behold the glory of Jesus Christ in our presence. Um, one of those moments, um, I'm trying to think, in fact, I'm just having a, a moment. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about even here with our inverse community. I mean, we had the very first time we had communion and I, it's like we just had these God moments, right? Mm-hmm. I can remember uh, when my younger, not my younger, my older brother was locked up and sitting at the piano and I was playing, um, uh, what was it I was playing? Um, Great is your mercy towards me. And I was just, and I was singing mm. and I was playing and like, I had this like overwhelming experience of Jesus's presence. And it was like this kind of like, behold the glory um and so both the the written the story of jesus as well as then the experience of the living jesus and to think yeah. about that this is the logos right the 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 word that was with god that has entered even in the midst of our pain and our suffering and our struggles um i don't know that was certainly an encouragement for me as i was thinking about that um what this passage kind of where it hit me when i was rereading it yeah Beautiful, sure. Uh, I'm listening to you all, and I think I think seeing you, I've I've identified something that um, listening to you um, hasn't clicked until now. And when when Bell Hooks talks about um, uh, men must grieve their old self so that they can welcome the new, uh, just the the courage of um, of the tears in this space and how it actually um, 
in real time, you're challenging the principalities and powers of patriarchy in such ways that a, a vulnerability opens up for real community. And um, Trey, I, I know that you said uh, um, uh, not just my perspective, but to, to lean back on James Conan, Drew and I were joking, what are we going to call this episode? Is this going to be like um, uh, the four black men podcast and uh, one brother who's um, uh, with fear and trembling working towards ontological blackness in brackets in the James Cone sense, close brackets. Like, um, but th this, is, this is what Cone meant, right? That um, uh, when Cone said God is black, Cone is drawing on um, Karl Barth, who's drawing on Calvin. And I know Calvin has been important to some of you in, in the way things have been mixed together. Um, but this is an abstraction to move away from what you've named, what Robert named in terms of this moment, in terms of pandemic, in terms of um, uh, this real grief and catastrophe that people are experiencing, um, that when Bart said um, uh, that Jesus has come uh, for sinners, and then Cohn says, um, not sinners in the abstract from Calvin, but sinners in terms of those whom the New Testament names as sinners, as outcasts, as pushed aside, and Jesus comes there. And then we open up here in John, and it's saying this is where God's come to dwell. That Actually, what's required of us in the text is to be incarnate in the same places that God has chosen to show up, that, that Jesus isn't an afterthought. How, how does Rowan Williams put it? That, that Jesus um, uh, is not an episode in the biography of the Word of God. But actually, no, 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 you need to look at Jesus. And then from there, that re revolutionizes everything. And this everything is the thing else. that gets me um, in my, in my like, neurologically diverse way where all these things connect for me all the time. And I'm always trying to hope that like something opens up that somebody can understand the workings of, of, of my heart in ways that, that blesses others. That oh, what you're inviting to us into in terms of the sharing of your pain in this moment um, isn't something separate from um, these abstract conversations people are having about the Nicene Creed, but it's the question, does that matter? And how does it matter to us right now? W when Sam invites us into like the word that there is room around the cross, are we listening to this brother, the beloved, who was present at the cross, who, who was there when they crucified our Lord and is inviting us into that space and the world is reimagined? because apparently everything was made through this word, Jesus of Nazareth, showing up amongst those who are hurting and oppressed. And, and anything that doesn't make that presence and that liberation primary is heresy. That's what I hear from you brothers as you open up. Basically, yeah. I, I think that summed it up better than I could. Um, Kind of like I said before, like it's either he's God or he's not. Yep. Right. And and this is who Jesus has shown himself to be. And I see it mirrored in scripture. Right. Not, not, not only am I able to live it um, as a blessing with these brothers. Right. God, God knew what I needed when I needed it. Right. And I'm so grateful for these brothers because the... I know I talk about the dynamic. Y'all have to listen to the podcast. Like, this is just how we are. The, the banter, the laughing, the joking. Um, Trey made a comment on Twitter the other day uh, um, about roasting. And he's, it, it's only roast. Roasting is only a love language if it's both ways. Right. And, like, we, <laughs> we all 
and we rag on each other, but we love each other deeply, very much, right? I like I've known these brothers for like three, four years, but I feel like I've known them my entire life. Trey's kids are my nieces and nephews, right? Like I love I love his family. You better come get and, your nieces and nephews. <laughs> well, look, we can we can trade because these two. <laughs> no. That's fine. Like. Yeah. This, this is us, man. And this is how God is showing up. And I'm telling you from the standpoint of three people who are, okay, so black people are not a monolith anyway. We're, we're so different, but we're so much alike. And there's so much room for us at the cross. There's room for you too. Like, yeah. that's where it's coming from. I think um, kind of uh, going to uh, Dr. Hart's point uh, about beholding the glory and uh Going back to the worldwide devastation. Sorry, y'all. That's just that's why I'm crying. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, that's where my heart is because I um, one because I am chronically ill. Uh, so my social location dictates uh, that I care. And then two, I think of uh, many of my friends um, who haven't been able to leave the house in the pandemic and who feel locked up and trapped. I think of the many who can't attend church and this pandemic has been suffocating for them in ways that uh, able-bodied people will never be able to understand. Um, and um, that beholding the glory means something different when you turn it around on its face. Um, and the question that I would ask is, don't we all deserve to behold God's glory um, in the midst of the saints? Um, don't we all want to see grace and truth? Um, part of this pandemic has revealed um, the ableism of our church communities. And I want to distill John 1 down to um, even asking Sam's question in a fuller way. There's room at the cross, but what hasn't been revealed is how the gates of entry to the cross uh, were barred have been barred by churches and seminaries in ways that sometimes have been intentional in some ways that have been unintentional mm -hmm. and some, some ways that the barriers were racial. Some have been ableist, some you're unaware of, and some have been left out in the cold and we cannot behold the glory. Mm -hmm. And so there Can are I just add something. I'm sorry. And then, and then they have the nerve to, to gatekeep it. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so they kept us out of those spaces. Just. Yeah. And so what we're seeing in the reeling is, yes, we're seeing this worldwide pandemic hit us all financially, emotionally. But I think one thing that is causing this fountain of tears right now is I feel the pain of that we can't even find refuge in the saints. Some mm -hmm. of us will never go back to church ever. Mm -hmm because of the ways that uh, we have seen churches handle themselves. Some of the ways that seminaries refuse to grow. Some of the ways that we've seen churches and church leaders handle themselves online. Some of the ways that uh, leaders have argued about the Nicene Creed, but you can't argue for your black, brown and indigenous mm -hmm. and queer brothers and sisters mm -hmm. and yeah. trans and non-binary siblings it's disgusting. And so the question I would ask chillingly is, don't we all deserve to behold the glory too? Um, 
that matters to me. If like we all deserve to have unveiled faces before the glory, right? And yeah. what John was beholding and testifying in John chapter one was a foretaste of what he was calling us all into behold together in the midst of the saints. And many of us have been barred uh, either intentionally or unintentionally. Um, and those rifts have not been repaired. And we had all this pandemic to kind of get our stuff together, clean the house. Um, I cleaned up real quick in this room before this recording because <laughs> uh, it was messy. Um, so we had all pandemic to get it together and we still arguing about creeds. Um, and if and if Christian slavery is a thing, mm. it's disgusting. <laughs> like, honestly, <Yeah>. like, <laughs> oh, sorry, that's it. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just mad because I don't see... I mean, I can't access a prophetic hope in a future for the church, but honestly, if all this has shaken the globe and here we are still, y'all is not looking good. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's good, Robert. And, and, you know, and I actually feel like, I mean, because you guys use the language of like, they've barred folks from the community, but in some ways, like, putting it on the inverse is they've they've barred themselves from seeing the glory yeah that's right, right. yes because yes. The, the glory has always dwelled in the cracks in the margins and the edges yeah. right yeah. it's always yeah. been with those who've had their backs against the wall it's always been those who've who've had the foot on their neck and so um that's precisely where the glory has shown up right in in such ways that um the glory is where you know the 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 hungry are filled with good things mm -hmm. and the rich right are sent away empty-handed um, that's where the glory is being seen and so um it's it's that reminder that it's not access to the you know institutional structures that give us access to that's true right. communion with jesus christ and one another um but what matters is that we are actually encountering uh jesus christ right yeah. um yeah. in the presence and it doesn't matter what all the systems and structures and institutions and all of that nonsense that goes on that are uh taking inverting weaponizing jesus's name but are not beholding the glory of jesus christ true mm -hmm. and if i could offer this one thing to that point i would say yes and amen to what you said what can be hard though is when you are the one left in the cold although that yeah. may be true you're still the one that's in the cold left out yeah right yeah. you know and it's like the glory yeah. might be here but this glory is cold <laughs> you yeah. know this yeah i can't enjoy this glory. yeah wow yeah. you know that's like good. You know, that's good you know yeah. you're like hmm, i would could i i need a hug you know right <laughs> you know and, yeah. and you're right yeah, yeah. that's exactly where Sam took us in terms of the cross, right? I mean, talk about cold glory. I mean, the, the, the glory we're talking about is horrific. Um, God is with us, and we've crucified. That mm. that's that's the horror of of. I mean, this goes exactly to um, Doctor Who's point that um, uh, if it's not that Jesus finds his definition in the Word of God. In, in the Logos, but Logos finds its definition in Jesus, in Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, that guy, like Mary's son, 
from, from the backwaters. The, that dark-skinned Palestinian Jew with, with all his problematic peacenicking that got him in so much trouble that they would hang him up, that's where Logos finds, that, that's where wisdom finds its definition. That, that, that's where the, the fabric and the, the logic behind all that is. And um, I mean, in that sense, that's part of the, that's a, these people putting up gates thinking that um, they're, they're protecting God are actually the same gates that lock them out of it. Because Jesus is always with this, this cold glory, to use Robert's language. Cold like glory. It's, it's blues. It's blue. Oh. It's blues glory. Yeah. And I think that's part of, too, the testimony of Free Black Men podcast, because it's cold. This glory is cold. But we're learning community. And you know what? We can warm up together. Yeah, that's it. You know, we can warm up together um, and we can set our own table. We can build our own spaces, right? Um, we didn't have to start three black three black men podcast. Nobody, I don't think either one of us had three black men podcasts actually doing pretty good for 2020 on like our 2021 on, on our on our bingo card. Like I didn't have that. Like I was just like, you know what? We're gonna go out here, we're gonna talk. And you know what? If God shows up, cool. If it's just us, whatever. But to see, like I've learned so much about Christ and seeing him come through and seeing so much wisdom being born out of the cold glory, you know, mm. seeing God show up in the cold glory, um, mm. feeling him there in the cold glory. Like we joke about it, I think on our last episode, but there was so much, there was so much that we were going through every single time we had to record something came up for at least one of us, but actually all three of us. It was insane. Nobody can make that up, but Christ came and like, we literally warmed each other up in the cold glory. Mm -hmm. Since we're in John's gospel, this occurs to me, brothers. Let me share this. And um, the cold glory, and I love that it's three black men. And I know that a lot of people focus on the black, but one of the things I love is that you're owning, like, um, you know, this is a work of redeeming masculinity, right? And in terms of that cold glory in John's gospel, it's the sisters who are present. Like, it, it, it's, it's that Mary, it's, it's Mary, Jesus's mom. It's like, they're there and there's a beloved disciple. And, and, and your work and I pray our work is actually finding ourselves uh, amongst the sisters as um, uh, our understanding of our masculinity goes from something that's a weapon and gets transformed, beaten into a plowshare, something that's a, a gift, as we actually found amongst the cold glory of that cross and realised that there's room and that the sisters were here before us and yet they're still inviting us in. I mean, that's humbling. And not only that, we want to talk about cold glory. Look at the the the, the gospel of John in general. You get to John chapter four, and John takes his uh, and Jesus takes his journey through Samaria, and and starts with this woman at the well who would have been outrageous for him to speak to by the norms of his culture, and he turns her into an evangelist. Right? You get to John chapter eight, and depending on who you ask, some people say it wasn't in the original manuscripts, but you got the woman at the well who was caught in the act of adultery, and Jesus says, "Wait a second. First of all, like how what was how did y'all catch her in the act? Where's the dude she was with? What's going on now? I got some questions for you. And then he turns that woman into an evangelist. He gives her a new lease on life and all of these things. And Jesus is literally walking around to all of the people who have been forgotten, 
a whole town, a whole region called Samaria. A woman who was caught in the act of adultery and punished for not the man. And Jesus is bringing them in like, no, what? No. The good news is for you too. <laughs> like God has built his tent among you as well. Right, even the conversation he has with the Samaritan woman, <laughs> and uh, he he says to her, um, "Oh well, well, you guys say that G that God has to be worshipped on this mountain, and, and well, Jesus was like, yo, it's gonna come a time when none of that's gonna matter, and this is a matter of breaking down the barriers between people and the worship of the Creator of heaven and earth, and tearing down these walls. And the story of Jesus is one that travels to the hard places and makes things new." Hmm. Oregon, please. Yeah, you better say that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I agree. Like, and I, I want to say even something on what you just said, Jared. Like, part of redeeming masculinity, both in terms of the podcast and I think in our lives in general outside the podcast, is um, redeeming masculinity by by locking arms with our sisters is important to us in our everyday lives. And that's something that even in our friendships, we call each other on. But, and one way we practically do that is if we even see a misogyny among us, we will call each other in. Um, we will, call, right. we will, we will uh, bring it, bring each other in, in the text. But um, and then in terms of the podcast, that even shapes how, as an ethic, uh, not just in terms of the podcast, but podcast, but as an ethic with how we do a podcast, if you go back, that shaped who we asked to be on our show. Um, mm. It was to the point where we were only asking women uh, to come to our show. We were like, oh, man. Yeah, I remember when y'all said that I was the yeah, first yeah. black man yeah, yeah, yeah. or the first guy, right, as a guest. Yeah, I was, yeah, like, oh, yeah, it was the first Absolutely. man. We were like, oh, yes, we do have to ask men to be. Because it wasn't, it's not just redeeming that masculinity and beating it, uh, beating that uh, into a plowshare was, has been important in re redeeming our masculinity um, from what it has been in the culture, right? So, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Oh, I just wish we had something to talk about. I know, right? It's been good. This has been good. I feel like we could go all day, and I, I, I'm tempted to to go and have a conversation about the nice scenes, but I feel like we we want to uh, honor you, our friends. Why don't we do a round two? Yeah, yeah, okay, we'll have to do I, I, that. I think that let, let's um, let's save that. In fact, maybe in the question time, maybe that's where yeah, we're going to. That's happens. what I was thinking. And maybe in the question time, we could get there. Um, but this has been a pleasure. Um, thank you all. This has been so good to be um, just uh, rapping with you all and hearing your hearts and um, getting into the word together, hearing more of your stories. I really love hearing your stories. It's really powerful and beautiful. Um, and so in a moment, we're going to transition into our Patreon community. Jared, you want to make an invitation for wrapping up? This is the altar call. So um, if, if you've enjoyed listening to this and you're like, I wish I could find my community who were who seeking out that cold fire. I mean, Sam was joking about backsliding earlier. It's only sliding away from that cold fire, right? If, if you want people who lovingly want to welcome you back to that cold fire, we're seeking to be that kind of space. One of the ways that that happens is that um, 
uh, our Patreon community, uh, which is a sliding scale. We're making sure that no one misses out. So don't let finances get in the way. Um, there are some with the means that means that you can make it. So don't leave yourself out. Don't stay in the cold that's away from the cold glory come close and this time now is a, a time for q a with our guests if you'd like to be a part of that or be a part of any of the formation experiences that we have happening whether it's subversive seminary um, or our decolonizing sunday school or um, our book studies or our time of contemplative prayer um, please find a way to um, uh, make yourself known to us and maybe um, we'll just remind everybody now Good brothers, um, how can people find you before we call it quits and open up Q&A for our Inverse community? So you can find us on Twitter at Three Black Men. Um, that's our group podcast, uh, Three Black at Men. The also, three, yeah. the number three, at the number three, Three Black Men. Um, we also have a Patreon. You can follow us and support us there. Find extra content uh, as well. Um, personal twitter is at sam g at sam g0727 it probably says something like jeronica's jangle i change the handle all the time so don't worry about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can only find me on twitter uh don't try <laughs> listen uh social media <laughs> i struggles with it um so only find me on twitter robert monson so yeah yeah you can find me on twitter Instagram, TikTok, all the socials, except for Facebook. I will block you and your mama on Facebook. <laughs> um, but, um, I'm at Pastor Trey 05. That's Pastor Trey 05 on all the socials. Oh, thank you, good brothers. The Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener. And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse.